Welcome to the National Presbyterian Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Ray Hilton, and I'd like to personally say how thrilled we are to share our sermon with you this week. If you feel encouraged by our messages, we invite you to hit the subscribe button so you will never miss an episode. Now, let's go to the National Presbyterian Church Sanctuary and hear the word of the Lord. The scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the time that I've lived in America, I've been to two major cemeteries where those who serve this country are buried. We visited as a family at least two or three times Gettysburg because we were living in the state of Pennsylvania. And yesterday, I had the opportunity to visit Arlington National Cemetery for the first time. And it was so moving for me to stand there amidst the beauty of that place, and yet the significance of that place. Over 400,000 people, men and women, over many, many wars in this country gave their lives. And so I do join the wonderful words that Reverend Larson shared in thanking those of you here today and those of you who are watching online who served this country. I know that in many parts of the West, church going is regarded as a quaint relic of the past. And I am so grateful for a congregation like National Presbyterian Church and so many others who are pushing back on that narrative that we still believe that the best days of God's church in this country are still ahead of us, that being part of a community, as we heard from that young couple, Pat and, and joy, that it's life-giving. And so many in our 
world and our community are starving from isolation and loneliness. This is a life-giving community, and so I'm grateful that you're here with us in person, and I'm grateful that you have joined us online. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we lift up our hearts to you this morning with thanksgiving. You have been so good to us. You've been good to this nation. And we pray as a grateful congregation that we would continue to offer to you worship that is rightful, worship that is pleasing, worship that is filled with spirit and with truth. Come, Holy Spirit, and take these frail words of mine and translate them to the hearts of your children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It was the, the great reformer of the 16th century, Martin Luther, who once said these poignant words that there are three conversions necessary. He speaks about the conversion of the heart and the conversion of the mind, and then even in the 16th, 17th century, he was talking about a conversion of the purse. And he said, of these three, it may well be that the conversion of the purse is the most difficult. And he went on and explained why. He said that money is a very great danger to the soul because it can be used to gain power. It can be used as a prop to elevate the self, our possessions can cause us to believe that it is our highest good, and sometimes we can use our money, whether deliberately or unwittingly, to oppress others. But he had positive things to say about money. He said that when we give to God's work, we are investing in the future of the kingdom of God. And for Luther, and he wasn't the only one, he believed that what the gospel does to us is that it transforms the mind, it transforms the heart, it transforms how we look and engage with money. You and I know that there are some topics that are off limits if you're at a dinner party or you are in a public space because some of these topics, can, they can be divisive, they can be uncomfortable, they can be very sensitive topics, and you, gotta be, you have to tread lightly. And the top four topics that you don't bring to your dinner party, you don't talk about politics. Supposedly, you don't talk about religion. You don't talk about sex. And of course, in public spaces and at dinner parties, you don't want to talk about money. And so, yes, I'm taking a risk this morning by tackling topic number four. An uncomfortable topic, it is. A personal topic. And I think back when I was a newly ordained pastor, I struggled immensely 
to speak openly to our congregation back then about money. Because at that time, in my mind, it felt very self-serving. It felt manipulative. It felt like we were begging when we talked about giving and money. But after years of immersion into the words of Jesus, Jesus had so much to say about money. I have reached this conviction. And it's a conviction I want to share with you, and I hope you'll agree with me, that how we handle money is a barometer of our spiritual lives and our discipleship. Back in October of this year, first Sunday, during Sunday school, I had the opportunity and the blessing to gather with a group of parents. It's called the Parents Group, meeting in Jones Hall. And by the way, if you haven't heard about this group, if you are a parent here and you're actively parenting children, I want to commend this group to you. 40 plus parents were there that morning and they asked me to speak about generosity and how we can engage our children and I shared a story with them that I want to share with you. Because when I was about 16 years old, my mother called up her cousin, who at that time was the postmaster general of a very big post office in downtown Kingston, and she asked him to give me a job, a summer job. And I won't tell you all the reasons why. And he did. And so my first paying job was to unload these trucks that came in filled with bags of mail from overseas and from around the island of Jamaica. And I'm telling you, it was grungy work. But every Friday, I got a check, and when I opened the envelope, there it is, my name, my money. And looking back, you know, it was not a lot of money, but for a 16-year-old boy at that time, I felt like a millionaire. And I remember going home with my first check, and my mother sat me down, and she decided then and there to teach me principles about handling money. And I must say, I didn't like it then, but I must say now, these principles have shaped my life to such a degree that I've passed them on to my own children, who are now practicing the same principles she gave me. First thing she asked me was, how much do you plan to give to God? Never thought about that question before. My check, my money, I have other plans. I really did. But I think what she wanted me to understand back then was that all of life is a gift from God and giving is a response to this generous God. And without even giving me a chance to answer, she said, give 10% to God. And the interesting thing about what she was telling me then, she didn't say give 10% to the church. She said, give it to God. 
because she understood giving to God was done through the lived reality of the church. If you know my mother, you don't want to fight with her on this. And then she took me to the Nova Scotia Bank. And we opened a savings account. And she had me give a percentage to the Lord. She had me take a percentage from what was left of the check and put it in my savings account. And then she said, this is what you then can spend. I'm so grateful to my mother for doing that. I was not a happy camper, but I did it, and I'm glad I did. Some of you may know that in March of this year, my mother then went home to be with her Savior, Jesus. And many years before she died, she made me her power of attorney. And she gave me the keys, literally, to all of her finances, all of her stuff. I looked at her old checkbooks, her bank accounts, and I noticed that my mom wasn't just telling me what to do and she was doing something else. She was living by the same credo that she asked me to follow. And today, knowing what I know now about my mom and how she handled God's money, I would say that my mother had the gift of generosity and giving because the number of kids beyond her five rambunctious kids that she raised, the number of kids that she helped to complete their education is staggering. In addition to that, I found within her belongings a special bank account from which she gave money to those in need. She literally had an account separate from everything else from which she helped those in need. My mother worked at the Kingston Public Hospital for 40 years as a pharmacist. And on the side, she managed a small drugstore that filled prescriptions. It sold ice creams and sodas and other little knickknacks. And while she was at work, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, managed the store. Her drugstore was open Monday through Saturday. It was closed on Sunday. And the business was located, literally was attached to our house. And on Sundays, after that big Sunday meal and everyone is relaxing, you hear this, this knocking at the gate. Mrs. Hilton, Mrs. Hilton, and we knew the routine long enough. We knew somebody was outside wanting my mother for something. They had a sad story to tell her. They wanted a prescription filled. They maybe didn't even have the money. Some people were coming for a loan. And I don't know how she did it. My mother never turned anyone away. As I got older, I still remember my mom and I got into a pretty heated conversation because I thought she wasn't being wise. She was allowing people to take advantage of her. But knowing my mother, you cannot tell her what to do. She ignored my protestations. She never turned anyone away. What I saw in my mother's stewardship practices 
I think, is reflected in today's reading. We could sum up, we really could sum up, if you haven't read it before, read it, chapters 9 and 10 of 2 Corinthians, we could sum up Paul's appeal to the churches, to the church in Corinth, to follow through on the financial pledge they said that they were going to give to support the struggling churches in Jerusalem and greater Judea. Because you see, Jerusalem and the surrounding region were still recovering from a devastating, flood, a devastating drought. The economy was turned upside down. People were starving. The Jerusalem church was a poor congregation. And so Paul sent out an appeal to all the churches that he founded, asking them to give, to support their fellow Christians, just like what we do in our church. The Christians in Corinth made a faith commitment, promising to give. But you know how it is. The church in Corinth was a church in turmoil. It was a tough church. They were having all kinds of distractions, and they never fulfilled their pledge. And so a year went by, and Paul writes them again. And there are those who believe 2 Corinthians is really a fundraiser letter. I don't share that. But it does have that element to it. In chapters 8 through 10, Paul encouraged them, fulfill the promise, fulfill the promise that you made. And so what, I, what we have in this section then that was just read for us are some of the most helpful guidelines that you will ever read in Scripture. They're so clear. Guidelines for how we as 21st Christians can practice giving as a part of our discipleship. Let me quickly share them with you. And if you have your Bibles open, you can take a look at it. Take a look at verse 6 where I see Paul giving a guideline where he says, I want you to give generously. And he uses the same analogy that we heard Jill using with the children, this farming analogy to illustrate this great truth. I call it the principle of reciprocity, where he said, the point is this, the one who sows sparingly, as Jill says, you only plant one seed, then you're only going to reap sparingly. But the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And that's Paul's way of saying, go big, go big. You will not be disappointed you will reap bountifully. The second guideline is in verse 7. He says, not only do I want you to give generously, but I want you to give freely. Each of you must give, and I love this line, friends. You've got to look at it in the verse. You've got to open your Bibles and look at this. This is good stuff. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, because if you're being manipulated, if you're being forced, that's not honoring to the Lord. Give freely as you have made up your mind. And a week ago, Judith and I sat down and we talked about it and we prayed about it and we made up our mind. Given all that we're doing, this is what we're going to give to God for the work of National Presbyterian Church. And I want you to do the same thing. Give freely, give generously, give with joy. Why? Did you see that line at the end of verse 7? 
Because God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word, the Greek word that describes the adjective cheerful is the word hilarion. It means give with hilarity. Give with abandon. Give with joy. No long faces here this morning. God loves a cheerful giver. But then I love this line in verses 8 and 10 where Paul encourages us and he encourages the church to give because God is your source. I don't know how many of you recognize that. God is your source, brothers and sisters. How many, how many breaths have you taken already since this morning? Have you been counting? I haven't. You guys counting? They're not, well, you guys are singers, so you should be counting how many breaths. How many times have your heart been beating since you woke up this morning? Anyone counting? But it's when we can't breathe and when our hearts aren't working right that we suddenly discover what a gift we have, the ability to breathe, the beating of the heart. And who is the source for that? It's God. Paul says, and God is able. God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. I believe that. So that by always having enough, you notice Paul doesn't start from a scarcity mindset. You notice that he starts from an abundance mindset. You will always have enough of everything so that you may share abundantly in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase. God will increase the harvest of your righteousness if you have made up your mind and you're giving with joy and you're giving because God has been so good. One of the verses that I have committed to memory is from Psalm 24 and verse 1. And it's a good reminder for us. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and all who dwell in it. Everything belongs to God. And so it makes sense then that Paul says at the very end that if you're going to give, another guideline, then give to the glory of God. Give as a statement of thanks to God. And if you look at verse 13, you will see he says, through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God, do you see that? By your obedience to the confession of the gospel and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. You glorify God when you give. While they long for you, they, the church in Jerusalem, they're longing for you, they're praying for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. And then Paul caps his exhortation to give, and he can, he can barely contain himself. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is that inexpressible gift? Why is he telling them about this inexpressible gift? He wants them to understand that God gave generously, God gave joyfully, God gave abundantly when God gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to us. And so often when you give, 
It's an opportunity for us to contemplate Christ's giving of himself. That's the template for our giving, for God so loved the world that he gave. And so we who are made in the nature and the likeness of God, we give in ways that mimic the generous giving of God. One of the verses that I would encourage you to, to look at is one that we didn't read in chapter 8 and verse 9. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Did you know that? Jesus gave everything up for us so that we might have everything and lacking nothing. He became poor, we became rich, and this is why we say thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know, when I look back on my mother's life, and I really mean that, I've had the opportunity to read a lot of her letters and her personal papers and her track record of handling the money God gave her. My mother marveled always at the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I'm standing here, I remember two songs. One of them I shared with this congregation in the first service, but the first song I would often hear her sing, I stand amazed in the presence. I can hear her. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And then she also sang an old Jamaican chorus. And my mother was a crier, and I think I inherited that from her. When I think of the goodness of Jesus, she would sing, and what he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. And I know that that was the impetus for her approach to handling money. So here we are. I found out this week that 100% of our elders and 100% of our deacon leaders have responded. And I love that because I'm a big believer that leaders must go first. You don't ask people to do something you're not doing. And so I'm asking you, National, I'm depending on you, if you call this place your spiritual home, if this church has been of encouragement to you, if this church is helping you to know Jesus and to love him in a deeper way, I want you to join our leaders, join our leaders in making a commitment to support God's work here at National Presbyterian Church in the year 2024. Last week I told those of you who were here that I am naive enough to ask for 100% participation. And I am asking for that. And I try to explain to you what I mean by participation. I fully recognize that we're all at different capacities. Some of us are here this morning and you may not even have a job, but you still are a blessed person. And maybe you want to give your time, you want to give some of your, your abilities that you have, to build up this congregation. 
Note that on the card. Some of you can do all three. You can give some financial resources, but you're also wanting to give your time and some of the abilities that God has given to you to build up this congregation. And I keep saying it over and over again. This is a leadership-rich community. God has brought all these leaders together in this place for a reason. And I'm just excited to be here in this season to see what's going to happen and where God is going to take us. So if you want to give this morning, we have commitment cards available. I know they're in the pews. I know the ushers may even have some in their hands. And in a moment, Dr. Fox is going to come and give us some instructions and we encourage you to participate. Because what we're about then is to make a difference. This church is here to make a difference. We're not here for ourselves. We want to impact Virginia and Maryland and the District of Columbia for the District of Columbia for the for the glory of God. So that's it. It's really, really not complicated. If you are able and willing and desirous of participating, if this is a place that God has called you to, then I want to encourage you to give. But when you give, just remember, give, give freely. Give joyfully. Give generously. Give because you're convinced that everything you own is on loan from God. And one day, you're going to have to just let it go and give it back. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, would you pray with me? Love so amazing, love so divine, demands our all, our life, our soul. Lord, you are the king of our lives. And we come to you this morning with open hands and open hearts. And we say, Lord, take us, Lord. Use us for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're glad that you could be with us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website at nationalprayers.org. That's nationalprayers.org. Help us spread the good news of the gospel by sharing our podcast with your friends and giving us a rating. If you haven't already, be sure to click the subscribe button. See you next week.